of the message is joy is born at Bethlehem. Joy is born at Bethlehem. And our text for this morning is Luke chapter 2 verses 10 through 12. And I want to read it to you from the New Living Translation. It says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, that is the shepherds. So suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel assured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign, and you will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Now, even though we really don't know what time or season Jesus was born, we celebrate it today on, on December 25th, as we have for the last many years. First of all, because we don't find any scriptural authorization at all for observing any day as the birth of the Savior. Therefore, man's thoughts and ideas has established its observance as December 25th. Uh, though again, it's not given by Authority. The Bible does not say that we are to celebrate it on December 25th. <clears throat> Superstition has set the day of our Savior's birth, even though there's no possibility of discovering when it took place. But we can venture to say that if there was any day in the year where we can be pretty sure the Savior wasn't born, it's the 25th of December. That being for a couple of reasons. Uh, more, but these two in particular, uh, shepherds were not in the fields in the month of December. And Jesus' parents came to Bethlehem to register in a Roman census, but temperatures could be below freezing at that time of the year. So again, uh, most likely Jesus wasn't born in that time, but as this German classical scholar Fabricius uh, said in the 16 to 1700s, he gives a list of 136 different opinions on the birth of Christ and the various opinions that have come up <clears throat> with significant arguments in favor of a date in every month in the year. And that makes sense. We should, again, uh, celebrate the Savior's birth every day in the year. Now, it wasn't until the middle of the third century that any part of the church celebrated the birth of our Lord. And it wasn't until long after the Roman Catholic Church had set the example that the Eastern or Oriental Catholic Churches adopted the same. And because it's okay and even commendable, I mean, it is to, you know, to meditate on the incarnation of the Lord any day in the year, it can be you know, in any man's, it can't be in any man's power to decide celebrating Christ's birth on the 25th of December is wrong. So, though we don't know when, and it, it may be that it wasn't, and we have good reason to believe it wasn't, it's not wrong to celebrate it on December 25th. The point of all this is, is we're not to focus and argue about the actual date, but let us thank God for the gift of His dear Son. We should celebrate his coming every day. And in our text, 
we have the sermon of the first evangelist, an angel, given in the gospel. The preacher was an angel. And the main subject of the angel's announcement is, as we've read, I bring, good, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The first announcement of the Messiah's birth was given by an angel. And he, was, he gave it to some unknown shepherds. But why unknown shepherds? Why didn't the angel give it to the priests or, or scribes, uh, that is the religious elites, uh, elites of that time, the religious leaders of that day? You know, why didn't that announcement get made to, let's say, more important people? By the angel visiting the shepherds, the angel revealed the grace of God toward mankind. God's unmerited favor. Now, shepherds were really outcasts in Israel. And their work not only made them uh, uh, ceremonially unclean because, you know, they they worked with dirty sheep, smelly sheep. You know, they were around their manure, blood from cuts and scrapes, insects that buzzed around their head. These things would make them unclean. And therefore, they'd have to be cleansed before they'd go into the temple and worship. But because their job kept them away from the temple for weeks at a time, they couldn't be made clean. The thing is, is God doesn't call the rich and the mighty. He calls the poor and the lowly. And the great apostle Paul said from the New Living Translation in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, take a good look, friends, at who you were when God called you into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. I don't see many influential, not many from high society families. Now, when you hear those words from the Apostle Paul, it sounds like he's putting them down. He says, take a look at yourself. You know, who you are or who you were when God calls you into this life. Not many of you are the brightest and the best. Not many of you are influential. Not many of you are high, from high society families. And what he's saying is God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't go to just the wealthy and the famous, the elite, those with status. It shows that he goes to everyone and anyone. Or he's come for everyone and anyone. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the society overlooks and and takes advantage of? And he chose those nobodies to expose the shallowness of the so-called somebodies. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate, a fresh start, it comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. So as we look into this angelic sermon to the shepherds, we will note three things in the text. First, the joy which is spoken of. Second, the people to whom this joy comes. And third, the sign which is to us a sign as well as to these shepherds. A sign of the birth and a source of the joy. First, the joy, which is spoken of. Where does it come from? Heaven. It came from heaven. Jesus Christ came here to bring us that joy. The angel said in verse 10, it was a great joy. He said it was good news of great joy. 
The, world is, the world's joy is nothing in comparison to this heavenly joy. The world's joyfulness is worthless in comparison to the joy of the Lord. But heaven has sent us a joy like no other in that it's infinite. It's never-ending. No one can take it from us. If in possessions, if our joy is in the possessions that we have and accumulate on earth, those things can be taken away. They can be stolen. They can, they can corrupt and rust in time. So if that's where our joy is in those possessions that we have in life, we can lose them quickly. The joy that Jesus brings is suited for eternal minds. And since there's no mention of time or duration made for this joy, and that no hint is given for the time and duration of this joy, the message, it's saying that the message will never be changed or reversed. You know, again, with the announcement, it didn't say that, well, this joy is going to be for a certain amount of time. The message will never be changed, and it will never be reversed. So we can say that it's an everlasting joy. A joy that will continue to exist all down through the ages, forever. You could say it's a lifetime guarantee. Like everything that God gives us. Paul the Apostle said in Romans eleven thirty, the for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So the gift of Jesus Christ, it's irrevocable. God never revokes them, that is the gifts. He never takes them back, he never calls them back. He never takes them away from the person that they're given to. And the reason is because where his love comes from is from himself. God is love. And his love is always the same. And his love shows us there's no distinction. You know, he doesn't love one more than the other. His gifts are given. They stand sure. They're immovable. They're not based on works. I can't earn God's love. The things I do or don't do doesn't make His love any less for me. His love is from the sovereign will of God. And Jesus Christ reveals the promises of God. And He fulfills those promises. And He enables us to claim those promises. There is no deceit with God about His promises. He doesn't make promises and then not fulfill them or keep them. And the Bible says God is not man that he should lie. Because when God sent out that angel in his brightness to say, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. He was actually saying from this day forward, it shall be joy to the sons of men, meaning all men everywhere. There will be peace to the human race and there will be goodwill towards men forever and ever. I mean, what a wonderful thought. Jesus is a joy forever. Forever. And since this joy is specifically associated with the glory of God, by the words that were said, glory to God in the highest, we can be sure it is a holy joy and it is a pure joy. The angel wouldn't have proclaimed anything else because truly no other joy is joy. You know, it's it's a living nightmare and such misery to live in sin. There's no joy in it. There's guilt and a bothered conscience. 
And it's even a deeper pit to be in when a person can make joy out of sin and evil. When people you know, just get, get joy and enjoy sin and evil. Jesus came to save us from an unholy joy and an unholy sin. The joy that is announced by the angel is as pure as it is lasting and as holy as it is great. So let us always believe concerning Christianity that joy is within itself in the Christ of Christianity. Now there will be those today on Christmas Day who, will, who won't be joyous at all in Christmas or in remembrance of our Savior's birth. But you know what? They won't look for that pleasure in the Savior either. They won't look for that pleasure in the Savior, but they'll look for it in other things. Maybe in the gifts, maybe in the festivities. They'll have to add to the celebration of the Savior's birth before they can be satisfied. And then it's only going to be temporary. As this world is temporal, so are the things that it offers. They're temporal. Because just finding joy in Jesus to them wouldn't be enough to satisfy them. Is, and, and, and people will think too, is there really, really reason enough for, for holy joy, to find holy joy in the Savior Himself? Are there really reasons to find pleasure and excitement in His birth? Unfortunately, most men imagine that in Christ's birth, there's only seriousness and gloom and do, can't do this and you got to do that. There's no real joy. It's just emblematic. It's just there to, to make you feel good, to feel warm and fuzzy on this particular day. And then it just results in weariness and gloom and discontentment because they're still there. Let that not be true among us. But the, the angel's announcement had even a richer reason for our joy in Jesus. Because our Lord, who was born in Bethlehem, came as a Savior. Verse 11 in our text says, For there is born to you this day in the city of Bethlehem a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Sin had separated God and man because of the fall of Adam. But the incarnation, Jesus coming in the flesh, born in the flesh, it bridges that separation between God and man because of the cross. From then on, when God looks at a man, he'll remember that his, son, his own son is a man. And from then on, when God sees a sinner, he'll remember that his own son, a man, his own son as man, stood in the sinner's place and took upon himself the sinner's doom and at the end of that war between god and man that enmity between god and man when that has ended as a result there will be cause for great joy so for those who feel that they are lost this morning rejoice because your savior has come to seek you out and to save you and be of good cheer those who may be in prison you know Physically or spiritually speaking or figuratively speaking. Those who might be in bondage to vices that they, they can't seem to get rid of. They can't seem to shake whether it would be alcohol or drugs or whatever it might be. Rejoice because he's come to set you free from 
all of those things, anything that has put you into bondage. Sinners everywhere should rejoice because the restorer of those who feel like castaways, outcasts, the Savior was born for you. For you. And join, join in the joy that, that you believers have because he is the preserver of those who are saved and he has saved them from so many dangers. The second thing that we see in the angel's announcement is the persons to whom this joy comes. First, it was to, who, to whom it was given to. Now, it's to who this joy comes. Notice how the angel begins his, begins his announcement in verses 10 and 11. He says, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day a Savior. Twice you see the word you. I bring you. Therefore, there is born unto you this day. And I've shared it in the times past when the Bible speaks about or, or uses the word you. Put your name there. Make it personal. Behold, I bring Joe good tidings of great joy. So the first ones who got to experience this joy are the first ones who got to hear the good news about this joy, which was the shepherds. The angel said to you, shepherds. He said, for unto you is born a savior. You, shepherds, are listening to the announcements of the birth of Christ. And you who are listening this morning, will you begin with Christ this morning? Will, will that joy begin with you this morning as you are hearing the announcement? Because it doesn't do us any good. It doesn't do you much good that Jesus was born or that he died unless unto you a child is born and for you Jesus came. Some will say, well, you know, I, I'm poor. Well, so are the shepherds. Jesus loves the poor. He cares for the poor. Someone else might say, well, you know, I'm not, I, I, I'm unknown. I'm a nobody. So were the shepherds. Out on the hills of Bethlehem, watching their sheep. Nobody know, knew who those men were, much less knowing they were out there on those hills of Bethlehem, enduring the, the weather and, and, and the hard work of, of shepherds. As they watched over their flocks by night. But you who are poor and unknown by men are known by God. And that's the important thing to remember. Nobody may remember you or me or what or, or even. But you know what? God does. God knows who I am. The Lord doesn't favor the greatness of men. That is, he's not partial to the greatness of men. He, he's not partial to, to the wealthy, to those with status. He respects the lowly, just as he does the wealthy or the famous. The Bible tells us that, that there is no partiality with God. He sees all men the same. And, and when I use the term men, I'm speaking of men and women both. He sees us all the same. And he loves them all the same. Because he knows they all need a savior. 
Paul says that when he came to Christ, he didn't see men according to the flesh. In other words, he didn't, you know, uh, look at men based on their status or their wealth or their poverty. He looked, them, looked at them as everyone needing Jesus Christ. Some will say, I'm illiterate and I have trouble understanding things. So be it. That's okay. Unto the shepherds, a Savior was born. And their simplicity and their lowliness and their humility, it didn't hinder them or it didn't stop them from receiving Christ. He even helped them. Shepherds were the lowest of people in society during biblical times. The Egyptians wouldn't even eat with them. Jesus is the true poor man's friend. And to you, Jesus was given. If only every heart this morning would truly say, to me, Jesus is born. Then I can be just as sure as if an angel announced it to me personally, because the scripture tells me that if I believe in Jesus Christ, he's mine. He's mine. And then after the angel said, to you, a child is born, he went on to say, to all people. Not some people. Not special people, to all people. The coming of Christ is to be a joy to all people. He brings a measure of joy to all sorts of people. It even brings a measure of joy to those who are not Christians. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, it is a great blessing to all the people. Think of it. There is no place on earth where there is an open Bible and a preached gospel where a tyrant can hold his position for long. For example, communism and socialism. That's why they don't want you to hear the gospel. That's why they don't want you to hear the truth. Because men are allowed to think and they're allowed to do. Communism and socialism, we see it happening in our own country today. They don't want the word of God. They don't want the church. They don't want Christianity. They don't want Jesus Christ. Because we're free in Christ. They want to hold us in bondage to their rule, to their power. Doesn't matter who the tyrant is, whether a king, queen, or a dictator. If the pulpit is used the way it should be for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible is opened when it's open and read by all men. No tyrant can rule peaceably for long. England owes her freedom to the Bible. Cuba, China, North Korea, Vietnam, Laos, they will never possess lasting and well-established freedom until they come to reverence the gospel which they have rejected for so long. You see, that's why the United States was graced by God in the beginning because we were formed based on biblical principles. And we are slowly turning away from those principles. And we see, I believe, God's hand slowly being removed from our country. There is a joy to all mankind where Christ rules the religion of Jesus Christ makes men think. It allows men to think. And this, always, this is always a danger to a tyrant's power. Over the years, the Bible, men have tried to, to, to do away with the Bible. To get rid of the Bible. To get rid of God's word. 
They've tried to stamp it out, but it's indestructible. It's still with us today. And it will always be with us because it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The religion of Jesus Christ sets a man free from superstition. When he believes in Jesus, he no longer cringes and bows down to anyone. And he's no longer willing to be led like a beast of burden. But learning and to think for himself and becoming a man. So wherever Jesus comes, even if men don't receive him as their Savior, and they, and they miss the fullest joy, yet they get some benefit. Wherever his gospel is preached, man will be better for it. And if men receive Christ, there will be no more, no more oppression. Because the true Christian does to others as he would, that, would have them do to them. Let Jesus rule in the hearts of men and there won't be any more contention of classes. No more contention with the poor. No more of the old taken advantage of. Wars will cease. Racial divide will cease. Crime will cease. Violence will cease. The greatest joy known to man is known by those who know the Christ of Christmas as their Savior. Unto us a child is born. And if we can say that He is our Savior who is the Christ, our Lord, we are set free. Free to be who God intended us to be. Are your sins forgiven for His name's sake? Do you have His power over your nature? Or is your nature ruling who you are, leading your life? We could be coming up to a new year, and as I said it last night, there will be a lot of people making New Year's resolutions. You know, they're going to change the way they do. They're going to change certain things in their life for the better. A couple weeks later, they're back to the old, same old, same old. Because they don't have the nature. They don't have the power in their nature to change those things. Then you have the joy that is to all the people in the truest form of it. And the more you give of yourself to Christ the Lord, the more completely you know Him and are like Him, the fuller your joy will become. Superficial superficial joy is what people have who only hear Jesus preached. Just hearing Jesus preached, hey, you hear the wonderful promise, but all you... That's all you have is a superficial joy. But the great depths and the riches of that joy is only for those who know the Savior, who obey the Savior and have a living relationship with the Savior. The most joyful man or woman is the man or woman who is most like Christ. There is a legend, and it may well be a true story, about the awakening of St. Augustine. St. Augustine was a theologian and a philosopher. He dreamed that he had died and went to the gates of heaven. And the keeper of the gate said to him, Who are you? And St. Augustine answered, Christiana sum, which means I am a Christian. But the porter replied, No, you're not a Christian. You're a Ciceronian. Because your thoughts and your studies were most of all directed to the works of Cicero. And the classics. And you neglected the teaching of Jesus. The porter at the gates of heaven said, We judge men here by that which most engrossed their thoughts. And you are judged not to be a Christian, but a Ciceronian. 
And when Augustine woke up, he put aside the classics which he had studied and the eloquence at which he aimed. And he said, I will be a Christian and a theologian. And from that time on, he devoted his thoughts to the word of God and his pen and his tongue to the instruction of others in the truth of the word of God. Let it not be said of us Christians this Christmas, oh, he's a believer. He might be a believer in Christ, but he's a lot more interested in making money or doing business. Many other things preoccupy his mind. Or he may be a believer, but oh, he's much more comfortable talking about politics, the stock market, the economy, science, the latest news, because the name of Jesus is rarely on his lips. You'll never know the fullness of the joy that Jesus brings to you unless you take Jesus, the Lord, as your master to be your all in all, to be your savior and to make him your never-ending source of your greatest joy. He's my savior, he's my Christ, he's my Lord. And may this be what we boast about the most and the loudest. And then you'll know the joy which the angel's song predicts to all men. And then the third sign, and the last, the third thing, and the last, uh, third sign, and last sign in our text, I'm sorry, the last thing that this angel speaks about in our text is the sign, which is to us, as well as to these particular shepherds. It was to everyone. A sign of the birth and a source of the joy. The shepherds didn't ask for a sign, but they were graciously given one. But here's the thing. Stubborn belief won't be given a sign. But the weak in faith will be given a compassionate help. As the disciples asked in Luke 17, 5, when they spoke to Jesus and they said, and they said to the Lord, increase our faith. Those who truly want their faith increased the Lord will increase their faith. Those who aren't interested and stubborn and don't want to know more, he won't give them more. The sign that the joy of the world had come was this. Here was the sign. He says, you will find a, manger, you will find a babe in a manger. That was the sign. He was to be the sign. But notice, he was found only by those who went to look for the sign. Just like the three wise men who came from far away to look for the sign. The Bible says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Diligently is the key. If you diligently look for him, you will find him. Everything they saw about the baby in the manger was instructive. That is, it taught us something. The babe was found wrapped in swaddling clothes. That was a sign. When you look at this baby in the manger, there's not the slightest appearance of worldly power there. Unfortunately, the nations of the earth, they look for joy in their military power or in their status, in their position, in their wealth. People look for power in those things, in their fame, in their wealth, the status. The psalmist said, what joy for the nation whose God is the Lord. Maybe that's why our nation is not so joyous these days. 
God is not God of our nation. He is, but the people aren't recognizing him as so. They've removed him from a lot of the decision-making process in the government. They don't want him in the courts. They don't want him in the schools. Man wants to lead. Man wants to, in his intellect, say he knows best. Look again at this baby in the manger, and you won't see any splendor there. You won't see anything to razzle-dazzle you. Is the Christ found wrapped in purple and fine linen? Far from it. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes, which really has nothing but strips of cloth. Is he found sleeping in a comfortable little crib made out of precious wood and covered with gold? No. The manger itself was a shelter. There's no crown on his head. His mother was a simple woman from Galilee. A simple woman, a little child, and a little child wrapped in ordinary clothes is what you see in the manger. Neither was there any wealth in Bethlehem. So really, what was there for the nation to admire? A baby wrapped in clothes of poverty. No wealth, no status. There in the cradle in Bethlehem lies the wonder of the world, the world's hope. There's more poverty than wealth in that manger. There's no glitter. There's no gold or silver. There's only a very poor baby, so poor he's born in a manger. His mother, the wife of a carpenter, and she doesn't wear silk or fancy jewelry. What that shows us is that our joy isn't found in gold or silver fancy clothes or position the riches of this world are found in 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 that little baby they're not found in the riches of this world they're found in the gospel enjoyed by all classes of people jesus raised us to a spiritual wealth in himself and by doing so, he's freed us from the bondage of, of, of money, possessions, and wealth, and title. And in being freed from that, we truly have freedom and we have real joy. So many people make wealth and, and, and certain possessions in life their goal in life. And then when they don't reach them, they're bummed. They're miserable. Nor is joy found in the world of philosophy, man's philosophy. When you look at what happened in the events in in the Gospels, in the birth of Christ, Hollywood could have never written such a story of the events that took place in Bethlehem. It was just a child in a manger and a Jewish woman looking on and nursing the child and a carpenter standing by. There was no mysterious difficulty there. Nothing of which men say, oh, like they would, oh, you know what? We need a doctor of religion to come by and explain what's going on here. We need a committee of religious experts to tell us what does this mean? When the gospel says, a child was born unto you, that you may 
have joy. Even though wise men did come, wise men did come to seek the Christ child. But you know what? They came to the manger to seek Christ only to worship and adore him. They already knew who he was. They were coming to give him the worship and the adornment that he was due and to bring him gifts. Wouldn't it be great if all men were as wise as these three? But unfortunately, man in his intelligence, in his intellect, has argued and debated over the manger. And human reasoning has clouded the simple words of the Scripture. He was born unto us. Mysterious it is because you think about why would God do it that way? Have Christ come down, take on flesh and blood, walk among this earth for 30 some years to teach us about God. Why would he do it that way? Yet the greatest simplicity that was ever spoken to human ears and seen with human eyes is Christ. And this is the gospel. This is the gospel in preaching of which our apostle said, we use great and plainness of speech. In other words, he said, for our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom. The Apostle Paul, when he spoke about Christ and gave the gospel of Christ, he said, we conducted ourselves in this world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom. We didn't, you know, take the wisdom of man and his intellect to explain to you the gospel. We explained it in simplicity and godly sincerity. In closing... Man's thoughts and wisdom about the birth of Christ and their educated talk and their arrogant philosophies have never created much joy in this world. Philosophies are not helpful to everyday people. And philosophies fail because they're man's ideas, they're man's thoughts. They don't comfort the hearts that are they're struggling in, in, in toil and sorrow. The common sense man who feels the daily grind and wear and tear of this world, they need a greater comfort than, comfort than man's new theologies. And today there's a lot of new theology that's coming out. But it's not godly theology. It's man's thought theology. It's man giving in to the consensus of the world and what the world deems right rather than sticking to the honest and true principles of God's word. In a simple Christ, there's a peace that's deep and lasting. In a plain, poor man's gospel, there's a joy unspeakable of which multitudes can speak of with confidence. Why? Because they speak about what they do know. And they testify to what they have seen. So I say to you this morning, those who want to know only true peace and lasting joy, then come to the Christ of Bethlehem. 
Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful word, God. We thank you for this, again, beautiful child, God, born in Bethlehem, born in simplicity, really like all other human beings. There was no fanfare. There was no press there. It wasn't in the newspapers. There wasn't a a huge crowd there. Just simple, plain. Because those are the ones he would minister to, the simple and the plain. Those who took him at his word and believed like a child. Those are the ones that would find Christ. And may that be true this morning. Because down through the ages, there have been so many stories about Christ, who he is, who he was. Some say he was just another, another religious leader like Buddha and Confucius. But no, he was more than that. Those men, Krishna, Buddha, Confucius, they're still in their tomb. The tomb of Christ is empty. Therefore, he is God. If you're here this morning and and you don't know Christ, or you're not sure about your relationship with Christ, I want to pray a prayer with you. If you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to say this prayer out loud. You repeat it to the Lord with all of your heart. Dear Jesus, please forgive me, Lord, for all of my sins. I confess to you, I am a sinner. Please wash me and cleanse me of all of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me now to walk with you all the days of my life. And help me to begin today to experience 